for The Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Visit us online at faith.yale.edu. present camp in Scotland. There I read the Gospel of Mark and when I came to the uh, cry with uh, which Jesus died, my God why has so forsaken me, I felt that there is a divine brother who feels the same as my feeling was at that time. And uh, This uh, saved me from self-destruction and uh, desperation. The joy is uh, divine. It comes from outside into our life in a surprise, in a turning from sadness to goodness, from sickness to health and from loneliness to communion. You can experience joy only with your whole heart, your whole soul, and all your energies. This is For the Life of the World, a podcast about seeking and living a life worthy of our humanity. I'm Ryan mcanally Lins, And I'm Evan Rosa, and we are with the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Thanks for listening today. Evan, I wanted to, to bring this episode today in particular because yesterday, April 9th, 2021, was the 95th birthday of the German theologian Jürgen Moltmann. 95. That's amazing. That's a lot of years. And Beautiful. Uh, Moltmann it has like a special place for the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Yes, he does. Because he uh, was the doctoral supervisor, as they say in German, the Doktorvater, the the, <laughs> the doctor dad. Oh man, of that's so good. Of Miroslav Wolf, our our director. Yeah. Uh, at the at the University of Tübingen in Germany, something he said to Miroslav way back then, I think, has been really determinative of of what we're trying to do and the, the kind of stance we're aspiring to take. That's right. Um, yeah. And when something along the lines of this is, this is what you ought to be doing to, to be, to be a theologian, hmm. try to find a place where people's concerns and worries and questions are concentrated, where those things animate them in a particular time and a particular place in the place where you are and the time where you are and shine the light of the gospel on that. Yeah. I mean, Miroslav heard that it was directly spoken to him when he was a grad student by Jürgen, right? That's right. Yeah. And this, this is the mission you should take out with you into your, into your theological life. And that has really animated the work we do at the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. Yeah, that's right. It illustrates for me one of the things that's amazing about Moltmann, which is that he's this far ranging thinker, hmm. but he has an incredible knack for distilling things into just these memorable lines that help you navigate your yeah. world, that help you see things and that, and that inspire you to try to live mm-hmm. more faithfully. Do you have, yeah, do you have any in mind? Uh, yeah. I, so one that comes to mind is uh, some of us from, from the Center for Faith and Culture were at a meeting related to a grant that we were doing mm-hmm. with a bunch of other scholars, um, you know, a dozen or so, theologians, ethicists, 
psychologists, philosophers, and we've just sat down for yeah. uh, one of the, the sessions of this meeting. Miroslav's phone is on the table and it starts to ring as we're getting started talking. <laughs> and he picks it up as one does uh. in embarrassment to silence it, but sees that on it, it says, Jürgen. Uh, it says, You don't hang up on Jürgen Moltmann. Oh, it's Jürgen. <laughs> and so he picks up. And puts Jürgen Moltmann on speakerphone into the middle of our table, um, <laughs> which presumably is not what, what Moltmann was calling to do. Indeed. And says, we're here in this meeting and what we're, we're talking about uh, the question of, of the life of the theologian and what it has to do with the work of theology. Just puts him on the spot. Just, just right there. And Moltmann says, oh, oh, yes. Without living theologically, there can be no theology. Gosh. And everybody in the room just kind of takes <sighs> a breath and says, that's, that's true. That's, that's where I'm trying to be. Yeah, uh, our work is done. Wow, that's amazing. So you can, you can see how, how this, this kind of, uh, this clarity combined with passion. Yeah yields a sort of theology that has inspired countless young people to dedicate their lives to reflection uh, and to study and to writing and communicating and thinking about God and God's relation to the world in this sort of passionate, engaged way. Uh, it has this spark, this passion for God and God's creation for true life in the midst of our death-bound world. and. Mm. Hmm. And I mean, I was one of those, those young people. I had this inkling yeah. that maybe theology was a direction I wanted to go. Uh, maybe I was being called even in that direction. Right. Uh, but right after college, I, I, I found myself um, in a little village called Peguche in, in Ecuador, hmm. in, in the middle of the Andes. And ah. uh, my wife and I were just out of college. We're, were there trying to get connected to local indigenous organizations to learn about what they were doing um, in terms of community development, mm. uh, you know, to chip in if we could with our 22 year old sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. minimal skills uh, mm. and maximal ambitions. Yeah. But I'd brought along some theology books to try to test this, this out. Is this a way I could go? Yeah. And one of them was Moltmann's theology of hope. Mm. Uh, and I remember sitting down in the the kind of kitchen area of this semi-abandoned inn where we were living and being shocked to find a theology that was kind of more erudite than anything I had ever encountered before in my life. Sure, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, didn't shrink from reality. That's important. That's That's very important. And spoke in a way that felt credible to me. Uh, in that moment of my life, mm -hmm. um, and in that context, um, yeah, and um, it's the sort of the sort of theology that I felt like I wouldn't be embarrassed to be found reading where I was by the people who I was interacting with every day there, and uh, it's that is that kind of theology that again I think we're aspiring to do, and and we we want to kind of offer and invite others into. It's that sort of theological living. I think that's just such a beautiful example. And both those stories depict the way in which it's the lived theology 
that is the aspiration there. Can can you read that quote just one more time for anyone that missed that? So this this is my translation. Yeah. It was in German yeah, sure, originally, it was in German. <laughs> uh, but it was without living theologically, there can be no theology. I mean, that's about as aspirational as any of us could hope for. But I mean, it it depicts Christian flourishing, perhaps at its best. I think so. I think that's I think that's Moltmann's genius, and it's why. Uh, why we want to present this episode today and just want to say, Jürgen Moltmann, thank you. Peace to you as you mm. embark on the 96th year of your life. Yeah, here, here. Thanks for listening, everyone. In this episode, Miroslav Wolf and Jürgen Moltmann discuss the meaning of joy and its connection to anxiety, fear, wrath, hope, and love. Professor Moltmann remembers his own story of discovering of being discovered by God as a 16-year-old drafted into World War II by the German army and during the bombardment of his hometown of Hamburg and being held in a Scottish prison camp, only to read in the Gospel of Mark Jesus's cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry would lay a foundation that led to his most influential book, The Crucified God, Moltmann also explains the centrality of Christ, the human face of God, for not just his theological vision, but his personal faith, which, as Ryan explained, is a lived theology. Thanks for listening, friends. Hope you enjoy the wisdom here, earned through a long life of lived theology. I'm sitting here with Jürgen Moltmann, one of the foremost theologians in the world today, we're in Tübingen, where he used to teach for many years. We have just uh, finished a small consultation on joy, and that's the occasion why we are talking together. Yes. Jürgen, if I may, uh, you have written a book about joy some 40 years ago. Yes. What have you learned in the meantime about joy? Uh, well, at, uh, 40 years ago, it was a time of the protest movement against the Vietnam War and uh, the student unrest everywhere in the world. And uh, at that time, I was thinking about uh, how can I sing the Lord's song in an alien land. Mm-hmm. And uh, 40 years after, I want to understand how to sing the Lord's song in the broad place of his presence. So it's from the dialectic uh, to the affirmation. Uh, And now hope is for me anticipated joy, as anxiety is anticipated terror. And today, at least in Germany, we live more by anxiety and terror than uh, by hope and joy. And so in anxiety and terror, how does one find way to joy? Well, whenever I feel the presence of God, uh, then I, my heart is lifted up and uh, I see 
more positive into the future of the coming of God. And uh, thus, hope is uh, awakened in me. Who is God for you? Jesus Christ is a f human face of God. And uh, without Jesus Christ, I would not believe in God. Looking at the catastrophes of nature and the human catastrophes of history, I would not uh, come of the, uh, on the idea that a God exists and this God is love. This was unthinkable for me. As a But young... with Jesus Christ and his message and his suffering on the cross and his resurrection from the cross, uh, my feeling that God is present in the midst of suffering is uh, a firm trust of my heart. So you're not speaking right now <clears throat> simply as a theologian. You're speaking from personal experience of yeah. discovering or being discovered by God. Yeah. When you were, can you say more about this experience? Well, when, which, was, which was experience of anxiety, uh, aftermath of terror, uh, a place where joy normally would not, to find its uh, entrance? Well, when, when I was 16, I was drafted to the German army in 1943 and uh, experienced the destruction of my hometown, Hamburg. Uh, at the, in the midst of Hamburg, there was an anti-aircraft battery and we... Uh, schoolboys <coughs> had to serve in this battery. And uh, well, the operation called by the British was the Operation Gomorra, the destruction of the sinful city of Hamburg. And I was in the midst of it. And at that time, I cried out to God for the first time, uh, And later, I uh, was in prison, uh, in a prison camp in Scotland. And uh, there I read the Gospel of Mark. And when I came to the uh, cry with uh, which Jesus died, my God, why has so forsaken me? I felt that there is a divine brother who feels the same as my feeling was at that time. And uh, this uh, saved me from self-destruction mm -hmm. and uh, desperation. And so uh, I came up with hope on a place where there was no expectation to come home soon, uh, we, we were, uh, the imprisonment lasted for three years. 
You have later written a book that uh, I've heard you say you consider to be the most important book that you've written, namely The Crucified God. And at the heart of that book, in a sense, uh, is this cry of Mm. dereliction. Um, How is that book related to to the book on hope? Uh, How is the cry of dereliction of pain related to the joy of jubilation, uh, of resurrection? Well, uh, I started with hope and the resurrection of Christ, uh, which is, is a ground of hopeful expectation of the coming of Christ and the coming of the kingdom of God. And uh, when I uh, experienced in the U.S., that they took this as a reinforcement of the normally American uh, pursuit of happiness and the American optimism. I said uh, when I would return, I would only speak of the other side of Christ on the cross. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I came from the side of the resurrection to the side of the crucifixion and... uh, uh, there are two sides of the presence of Christ. You wrote that Christian faith is a unique religion of joy, and you tied that to the key um, moments in the Christ story: death, uh, resurrection, and then also coming of the of the Spirit. Can you say more about this uniqueness? Uh, in, in what ways yeah. and why is Christian faith uniquely religion of joy? Well, as a center of Judaism is a Torah. Mm-hmm. As a center of Christianity is the Evangelion, the gospel. Mm. And this is good news. And uh, this is the news that uh, God has raised the crucified Christ uh, to be the Lord of the world. And uh, therefore, Christianity is unique in this sense, that it is a religion of joy. Uh, Christmas carols and Easter laughter Mm -hmm. and uh, the awakening of Pentecost Mm -hmm. feelings, uh, this is uh, unique in Christianity. I don't mean that... uh, Christianity is absolute, mm-hmm. uh, but it is unique in this way. You compare, compare this with Judaism and the Islam and Buddhism. They are all unique in their uh, center, mm-hmm. but uh, the center of the resurrection is uh, unique in Christianity. You've earlier contrasted um, pursuit of happiness, a certain form of optimism, also in your uh, paper you've contrasted, uh, you spoke about uh, Spaßgesellschaft, fun uh, society, and contrasted uh, all these, um, pursuit of happiness, optimism, uh, fun, to, to joy. How are they different? Uh, well, uh, fun is a superficial 
feeling, uh, which must be repeated again and again to, uh, to last, uh, while joy is uh, a deeper feeling of the, the whole existence. Uh, you can have fun uh, at the side, uh, but you can experience joy only with your whole heart, your whole soul, and all your energies. Mm. Uh, and the, therefore, uh, Schiller thought uh, that uh, joy is uh, divine. It comes uh, from outside into our life in a surprise, in a turning from sadness to goodness, from sickness to health, and from loneliness to communion. And this turning point awakens uh, awakened, uh, joy. So, so joy isn't then a kind of simply a, a feeling. Joy is a response to a certain states of affairs that have been changed, mm-hmm. created, to which there is a particular way of responding. Is that how would, would that yeah, be a way uh, to express it? Something well, changed. You, you cannot make yourself joyful. Uh, this, is, this would be self-satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are always outside of yourself, watching yourself. Uh, I, uh, am I being happy or not? Uh, mm. And this uh, would never lead to joy. Uh, something unexpected must happen. Mm. So falling in love, for example, to take it from natural life or uh, sudden success uh, or in political life uh, the unification of Germany or the coming of Nelson Mandela out of 30 years of prison in uh, Robben Island and he came and everybody expected a civil war and nothing happened. Nelson Mandela came. This is a a reason for surprise and joy. Mm. So in a sense, it's not a natural course of events that we expect to to happen. It comes to us almost as a gift, as a gratuity from from outside. Do do you think there are... um, I can think of, uh, of uh, great events that you were describing, mm. uh, or, and maybe I can give an example with a contrasting, uh, contrasting uh, one as a, also. Something much more quiet that may be a source of joy. Let's say a child is born. That may be like the event of Exodus. That may be like the event of something completely new comes. But then and there's joy and there's rejoicing yeah. in it. But the child is growing and there's kind of a quieter joy that uh, attends to a uh, relationship to something that's there, but that it's also always experienced as gift. Or one falls in love, but then love matures, and, uh, and every morning it's a kind of new. So there may be a, 
exhilarating joy and they make oh, right. maybe kind of quieter joy. Does that make sense? Yes, of course. Uh, I think the intention of love is the happiness of the beloved. Hmm. So love's intention is not to uh, own the beloved, but to have the beloved happy. Hmm. Uh, and therefore, uh, some love sometimes uh, supports the beloved and sometimes taking oneself back to let the beloved in freedom. Mm-hmm. So both actions are actions of love. We are not loved because we are so beautiful and good, but we are loved because uh, we are beautiful and good because we are loved. And, and th- this is true for interpersonal right. relationships and also true with the relationship of God who is love, as we say in the, with the New Testament. Right. Right. And so he wants to see his beloved children on earth happy and joyful. And in a sense, the, the, the contrast that you made, we are not loved because we're beautiful, we are beautiful yeah. because we're loved, it kind of breaks a cause and effect relationship. If I'm beautiful and I'm loved, uh, I'm beautiful, the, the, my beauty kind of elicits the love and it's expected. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But if I'm not, I, the love comes to me always uh, as a gift, as a surprise, and lifts me up precisely yeah, in those yeah, terms. Yeah. And then is a cause of joy. So is, is there a, do you see a connection between joy and gratitude? For yes, something that comes? yes, of course. Uh, every child knows this at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so stance of uh, perceiving oneself as having been blessed and therefore grateful... Yeah. Is, uh, so in other words, it may not be enough to have a, a child at, at, at Christmas. It, it, it's not enough for a child to get the present, right? No. They have to uh, receive that present as a gift and be grateful for it for joy to occur. Yeah. They may, they may be dissatisfied because they didn't get quite the present they wanted uh, and then joy yeah, is gone, yeah, right? Yeah. But if, when it works well, then the present gratitude and joy form a, yeah. a, kind, of a kind of a nexus. But every child and every uh, person knows that uh, anticipated joy is the best joy. But if you there, always there anticipate a, only. <laughs> there is uh, a certain melancholy of the second day of Christmas. Yeah. If you get what you anticipated... What What's there? But if you never get what you anticipate, <laughs> if you only anticipate, right? So it's a kind of dialectic between, yeah, yeah, between yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at uh, one point, you have also connected the, the, the kind of the character of the God as Christian faith embraces or believes in a God 
who is love, but God who is uh, kind of passionate God, God yeah. who is engaged with the world mm-hmm. with the question of, with, with the issue of joy, so that the passion of God becomes the foundation of, of joy. Yes, and I feel at one with uh, Abraham Heschel from Judaism who spoke of the pathos of God. Uh, a passionate God uh, is on every page of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, as we say. But we, in the Christian tradition, have still to wrestle with the absolute God of the Greek metaphysics, who is apathetic mm. by nature. He does uh, God doesn't feel joy, God doesn't feel pain. He is above pain and joy. So the apathetic God makes uh, uh, a man apathetic too. This is the sovereignty of the soul, uh, which is above feelings of joy and pain. And uh, the pathos of God or the passion of God makes uh, the believers compassionate. Mm. They participate in the suffering of others and uh, participate in the joy of others. Sometimes it seems to me that compassion with the suffering of others is uh, easier than the uh, compassion with the joy of others. Mm, mm. We feel so good if we can have mercy with somebody else. And we feel uh, some uh, envy if uh, somebody else feels joy and success, at, at, at least in the academic world. <laughs> this yeah, no. is the case. The rest of the world is spared for, for, from that <laughs> temptation, I'm, I'm sure. Um, the, the joy of God, it's, uh, it's almost like a revolutionary idea, right? That the God, um, the creator of all that is, would... <laughs> Rejoice, right? at least against the backdrop of some of the Greek uh, philosophical thinking and uh, much of the Christian tradition, too. Yeah. How, uh, how can we speak of the love of God if we don't dare to speak of the joy of God? Because God loves somebody's joy and participates in the joy of his creation. And uh, in the New Testament, we have Luke chapter 15, where there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 uh, just people, uh, which is not uh, true uh, according to the parables given in this chapter because the lost coin could not repent Mm -hmm. and the lost sheep could uh, only make a noise 
but not repent. Only the prodigal son repented. Mm. Uh, but uh, his father was not interested in his confession of sin. He loves him uh, as soon as he saw him. So it's God's finder joy uh, in these parables. You have, uh, I think yesterday, if I listen to you rightly, you have connected joy of God with love of God, but you've connected, or love of God with joy, but you've also connected love of God with wrath of God. So that yes, yeah. joy and wrath and love uh, would go together. Did I hear Well, uh, I interpret the wrath of God as God's wounded love. Hmm. Uh, uh, if you feel the wrath of another person, you feel also the interest of another person in you. Hmm. Uh, only if that person turns away and turns the back to you, then you feel indifference. Yeah. And this is the most uh, terrible thing we can experience of God, that he has turned his countenance away from us. Uh, Jews call this Hester Panim, yeah. the dark face of God. Uh, that is... The, the contrary or the opposition to the shining continence of God from where the blessing comes, mm. according to the Aaronite blessing formula. But let, God, let shine your continence over us and give us peace. But joy is more lasting and stronger than wrath. Um, yeah. We have uh, certain testimonies for this, even in the Old Testament. My wrath is only for a moment, and my grace is everlasting. Mm -hmm. So joy, in it's, the end, wins. Yeah, I'm convinced of that. Thank you, Jürgen. <laughs> of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture at Yale Divinity School. This episode featured Jürgen Moltmann, Miroslav Wolf, and Ryan mcinelli Linz. Production assistance by Martin Chan. I'm Evan Rosa, and I edited and produced the show. For more information, visit us online at faith.yale.edu. New episodes drop every Saturday, with the occasional midweek. If you're new to the show, we're so glad that you found us. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you've been listening for a while, thank you, friends. If you're liking what you're hearing, I've got a request. Would you support us? It's pretty simple, really, and won't take much time. Here are some ideas. First, you could hit the share button for this episode in your app and send a text or email to a friend or share it to your social feed. 
Second, you could give us an honest rating on Apple Podcasts. How are we really doing? Finally, you could write a short review of the show in Apple Podcasts. Reviews are cool because they'll help like-minded people get an idea for what we're all about and what's most meaningful to you, our listeners. Thanks for listening today, friends. We'll be back with more this coming week. Bye.